This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. This is Season 4, Episode 8 or 56. It really just depends on how you look at it. We changed our numbering system. So sorry if that threw anyone off, but I digress. Um, This is Episode 2 of our three-part series on trauma disorders. Last week, we got to talk to a NICU doctor about trauma disorders and withdrawal in babies. And this week, we're going to be talking about reactive attachment disorder, or RAD, as it's more commonly called, with licensed therapist Vance Crow. I'm so excited about this one. So Vance is not an adoptive dad, but he's chosen to specialize in teens and adults with trauma disorders of all kinds. Um, And next week, we're going to wrap up the trauma series with an episode on oppositional defiance disorder or ODD. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Before we jump in, I, as always, have to remind you guys about the three main ways to team up with me and the podcast. And those are to rate and review this podcast. Whatever medium you want to use, you can do it on Facebook, you can do it on iTunes. iTunes is the most helpful, I'm just saying. Um, It just takes a second, really, really, really helps the podcast to just shoot up that list and be recommended to more people looking for adoption resources. And lastly, you can join the Facebook community. So guys, it's not just for adoptive moms. It's for anyone who listens to the podcast and wants to discuss it further. But it's also if you have friends or family that are not podcast listeners, but they just need support and they're in the adoption game, definitely invite them. It's just the adoptive mom community on Facebook. But you should be able to find that by going to the adoptive mom podcast Facebook page. That is all I have for you guys. I'm super excited about this interview. It's really hard, but it's so good and informative for those of us who deal with rad in our homes. So buckle up. All right, guys, I'm sitting here with Vance Crow, and we know that this is a rare thing to have a dude on the podcast. So you're part of like a very exclusive club, Vance. How does that make you feel? Um, nervous, I think. Well, um, I mean, you should be. I, this is a pretty uh, big deal. Yeah. No, <laughs> I appreciate it, Alex. I really do. Well, I appreciate you coming on, and we're going to be talking about a pretty heavy topic. So you're like extra brave. But um, I'm excited to have you on as a part of this trauma series. But before we jump into all that, I want to hear about you and what you do. So just take a minute, introduce us to yourself and your family and tell us what you do. Yeah. So my name is Vance Crow. Um, as far as clinical stuff, um, I work as a marriage and family therapist at uh, Waterstone in Springdale. And my main focus is a lot with attachment struggles. I, I do a lot of... Uh, addiction work that tends to come out of a lot of that attachment trauma pain. Um, That's the world that I live in most, have done a lot of work with um, foster families, have, oh, it was 2013 at least, maybe 2012, I don't know, it's getting a ways back there, 
when I started working with foster parents, um, uh, with a, it was a program that Ozark Guidance used to do actually called Foster Home Outreach. Um, I was I was a part of that team for for a while before I uh, got licensed. So there's kind of my history and what I do clinically for me personally. Uh, my wife and I we've been married for it'll be ten years in June, and we have four lovely little kiddos. Caleb is eight. Napoli is seven. Eden is five. Sorry, <laughs> you didn't know five. you'd be quizzed. And Nora is four. She just turned four in uh, December. So we had four kiddos in about five years. So we just had a wild ride. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, my wife, she stays home is the brave one and stays home and homeschools them. So you can pray for her. Yeah, for real. It's yeah. It's a it's a it's a it's a job. I tell her she's got the hard job most days. So <laughs> I don't know, man. I that that kind of goes into what I was going to ask you about next. So I mean, yes, as someone who also stays home with kids, that's like the ah, oh, these are the trying years, like the preschool early yes. childhood, where you're just like Preach. about to pull every single strand of hair out of your head. Um, but when everybody's alive when I get home. It's a good day. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a win, right? Praise hands all around. Um, but you go to work and you deal with really hard stuff. And so that's not easy either. I mean, I, I imagine that you have to put a lot of boundaries in place to protect your, uh, just your brain from being completely drained by the end of the day, um, walking through life with some of these, uh, specifically teenagers that you work with, Mm -hmm. um, and, and just, foster parents and adoptive parents and everyone that they they have so much going on in their lives and so much stuff that's really really hard to maneuver um you know you take something like reactive attachment disorder and not only is that something that a lot of people don't know about like lay people i mean like people who are not in counseling not adopting whatever um but then it's also like a giant shrug like what do we even do with this um, it feels yeah. hopeless and you are the ones standing there saying like, I-, I can help. And I know that that's not like a, you know, pat yourself on the back type of thing, but you're one of the few people who hold those tools. And you're also one of the few counselors that is trauma informed, which is a really big deal because, you know, when we got into this adoption thing, we didn't realize that that's a rarity. There are plenty of therapists out there who, uh, choose to not go through the extra training to become trauma informed. Right. So what, what made you want to go that route instead of just being like, I'll just, you know, help people with their marriages or, you know, whatever, like what made you want to be like, no, give me the hard stuff. Kind of dive into the trenches. Right. Um, yeah. So honestly, probably some of my own pain, um, and, uh, a lot of my, um, there's, if you look at my personal story and, um, a lot of that kind of pushed me towards, getting involved with, um, so one of the organizations that the international Institute of trauma and trauma and addiction professionals is, is one of the organizations that I'm involved in. And so, so some of the trainings that they do had really pushed me to, to do that. And then, and then as well, um, it's kind of just something that God kept putting in front of me and it just kind of kept, kept coming up and, and I just kind of kept saying yes, whenever Mm. he kept putting these, um, families who are walking through, through the adoption process and being willing to step out and do the hard work as it is, um, you know, living day to day and walking with those kiddos, um, 
that struggle with attachment, attachment pain. Um, my story isn't that I am, um, adopted or anything in that sort, but my folks were divorced and, and a lot of the attachment pain that came for me personally out of that story, um, you know, never knowing my folks together was, was, um, is a, I would like to say was, but if I'm being honest, probably is just a big, a big pain for me, you know? And so, so being able, being willing to step into those hard places with, with other people is important to me. Yeah. No, I think that's great. Cause you, you have this, this personal experience that you can relate with these kids. Um, and I say kids, you know, you, you work not with like actual little kids, but mainly teenagers, right? Like those, that's the extent of your kid work. Um, but when it comes to a trauma disorder, that's when we see the bulk of the, um, I don't know. I'll just be honest, the scary stuff, right? As far as in teenage years. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as far as when it, when it does get really scary and, 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 and to be honest too, some of the, um, hardest ones that I have worked with, um, even, even as, as young as, as 10 or so even have had some pretty, um, scary experiences as far as life or death, even, um, kind of experiences. So, so yes, kind of once a, um, you know, our kiddos that struggle with reactive attachment struggles, man, it can, it, it, it's not just the older ones when they're six feet tall. It's, you know, some of, some of, some of their kiddos have, have, um, some of these kids that struggle with this fashion, boy, have made some scary, um, suggestions and, um, actions even. Mm-hmm you know, even pretty young. So, so just because they're, um, not big in size doesn't mean the pain's not big and causes them to do very big and scary things in that that realm for sure. Absolutely. So, um, before we, before we talk about kind of the fix or, or the, what the treatment is for these kinds of things, let's get a good grip on just your take on trauma in general, and then let's move down the funnel to specifically reactive attachment disorder. So um, why don't you just tell us, like, what, what do you see as the, um, the overall umbrella of, like, of trauma in these kids? Biggest working definition of, of trauma that I can I can probably give you would be um, something that the body perceives as a threat against its own, um, well, well being, even its existence. So if I think about anything from PTSD that soldiers experience where they're alone and think they might die and that, that creates this attachment wound to, you know, the, the infant that doesn't get any care and goes into failure to thrive. So mm-hmm. anything on that, that, that can be so many different things and how it affects the body is kind of dependent on, on those details. So I don't really like to get into the details necessarily when trying to define trauma because it, it, it more so is, in my opinion, kind of how the body takes in that information Mm-hmm. You know, um, so when, when something is perceived as a threat against one's 
life and well-being? Am I going to be able to make it? Yeah. There's kind of the simplest, as far as I can boil it down, kind of definition of trauma. Yeah. And I'm glad you said perceived because that's something that I had to learn um, on my own trauma-informed journey after we adopted, which is really terrible timing, guys, if you're planning on adopting, (laughs) become trauma-informed. but Ahead of time. Right. But I did not realize that this whole perceived threat versus actual threat is the difference in that is irrelevant when it comes to these kids' reactions. Right. The brain goes into action mode at perception, not um, reality. Right. Like, I tell people often a story. I grew up on a farm, and why in the world my sister bought a copper-colored garden hose? I will never know for her horse, but she did. And I was walking across the yard and caught out of the corner of my eye that garden hose kind of making an S shape, right? And I jumped and screamed like a little girl and danced around the yard because my perception out of the corner of my eye was that it was a snake. Mm -hmm. And I really don't like snakes and had too many scares with them, right? So, (laughs) I I mean, I've looked like a fool. And then I turn around and I see that it's the garden hose and I go, oh, what an idiot. Like that's kind of the the sense that that when you're living with trauma on a day-to-day basis, it's like everything looks like a snake until proved otherwise. Yeah. No, that's a good analogy. In that that state of hyper-arousal, that hyper-awareness. Yeah. That's a good analogy because even, you know, even something like that or something as simple as like slipping and almost falling but when you catch yourself and you don't fall you can still feel the blood rush to even like your fingertips your fingertips your heart rates up your face is flushed you're out of breath and like that's silly i'm fine yeah but your body is still catching up to the fact that you're okay yeah and your body perceives emotional pain and physical pain (coughs) the same way Um, which was another thing that was super interesting to me. So let's move on to reactive attachment disorder specifically, or RAD as I'm going to call it, because that's easier. Um, So I know that you're not going to like this question before I even ask it, but if you had to pick types of trauma that you see most often, obviously not in every situation, but what types of trauma do you see leading to reactive attachment disorder as opposed to another type of trauma disorder like ODD? Um, Mm -hmm. What 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 lends more to the rad side that you've seen overall? I think if I had to to pinpoint, I think probably neglect would would be what ends up lending itself more towards rad. Um, that that sense of I'm I'm in pain or I need something and I am not going to get my need met. Mm. Um, especially at that young age, is rad typically forms prior to like seven years old. So like if you're talking about getting a teenager, or you're talking about getting a ten year old. It's like well I had no say in how this formed, which is really unfair. Mm-hmm. to be left with dealing with the consequences of someone else's inaction or or so then when you combine the neglect with physical or sexual abuse you know for sure then that especially prior to that seven years old really even kind of key around two-ish um there there's where you i think you really start to see reactive attachment start to develop versus ODD, ODD maybe, you know, 
probably even if, if you're looking at those similar things in, in regards to like, you know, when they're around 10 or something like that, and then they're struggling with that same kind of thing. Right. Um, right. Cause those neural say, pathways were formed at least yeah, at some absolutely. point. Yeah. They at least had some, yeah, some, I think about it like if you're walking through a field that's not been mowed, you walk down the same path often enough and you're going to eventually create a path, right? So it's, even if it's, so let's say they go through life from zero to nine with even um, mildly responsive parents, right? And then all of a sudden there's this big trauma and from nine to 12, they just get nothing. Well, at least they've had some formation of that pathway. It's really Mm -hmm. not a clear path. They may not use it very often because they go, well, that's not a really clear path. This one over here works better Mm -hmm. or is more clear, but at least they've had some. So, yes, I think that the neglect really hits hardest and which is, again, kind of hard to define. I tell people often, man, I'd rather take abuse any day than neglect. At least abuse, I can point to it hurts right here on my ribs or my face hurts, but neglect leaves me questioning leaves me with nothing but questions mm-hmm. and, and just pain. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing that I had to learn um, later that, you know, you would think that because it's not a physical trauma, neglect would be the better choice. But we often see that that right. can, that can leave people um, way harder to launch um, yes. into adulthood. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about what rad is in essence. And I feel like I have an advantage in this episode because, you know, I, I did another recording on ODD and I'm doing another recording on like fetal alcohol syndrome. And those are things <clears throat> that I haven't dealt with. But as as a parent with a rad kid, I feel like I can actually speak to this. So I'm excited to talk to you because rad can leave parents just so lonely and isolated because yeah. by nature, we're often the only ones who see the effects uh, or who yes. truly see. So on that note, just tell us a little bit about the spec, because I know that it's a spectrum. So talk to us about what RAD is, what happens in the brain, what happens, so I guess, physically and emotionally or mentally. Sure. Um, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, so on a physical basis, some of the things that you see from a kiddo that's struggling with RAD is you're going to see that Lots of times they are perceived to connect with strangers even better than their own caregivers at the time. So I think that's part of what you're talking about lends itself to such isolation and feeling such pain in regards to that. Because so let's say we go to a Walmart and there's such kind and warm and loving kiddos towards total strangers and yet I can never get a hug from them. I they won't even let me comfort them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have trouble allowing comfort, and 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 they didn't get the comfort that they needed at pretty key times as well. So those are some of the physical manifestations, I suppose. And unfortunately, what tends to happen too is not only are they averse to accepting comfort from those caregivers, but lots of times they will end up even acting aggressively, violently towards those that are taking care of them at this Mm -hmm. point. Right. So, so that's where 
you know, so this, Alex, would be probably be, I don't know if you want me, so the story that's coming to mind is there was a kiddo that was probably 12 at the time and really struggled with rad and, and nearly killed one of the adoptive sisters with a piano string. Like it just got so severe. Um, so, so coming after and perceiving that, that again, that perceived threat, well, they love her more than me and I'm not going to get my needs met. So mm-hmm. just drastic over the top measures to simple simple aspects right yeah and so so part of what you're looking at on the so neurological side or the 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 emotional the brain side is is like that that same situation where they're being aggressive towards the caregivers or towards other kids in the home is is again that perceived i'm not going to get my needs met there's research that shows that that connection attachment um is as necessary as breathing mm-hmm. to our body. And so that's where that perception comes into play. So if there's a perceived threat to my connection, then you might as well be holding a gun on me. That's the way it feels to that kiddo. So that's what's happening on the inside. And so being able to match that and, and get a, be able to you know, look, I get it. I get how you, you're feeling that I don't love you. Really, I do. I get how, help me understand what happened. Help me put it together what happened that showed you that I didn't love you. And let me help you organize that and get back to a regulated state. Mm-hmm. And that answer your question. I feel like I just kind of went way all over around that, but that's kind of how I would answer that. Sorry. No, I think it's a good basis, um, a good overview for sure. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but as kids get older, you start seeing that come out as not um, not acting out to get that love and attention, but more acting out to prove to themselves that they don't need it. Is the, do you see that as well? Um, for instance, like something that we struggle with is is food insecurity. So, right. Uh, you know, our kid will also are, will often not eat the food that we provide, and will instead steal food or bum food off Hoard other people or, or something right. like that, almost to prove to himself that he doesn't need us to survive. He doesn't. He can figure this out on his own. Yeah, like kind of even to prove to himself, I'm gonna be okay. I'm pretty sure that I can't depend on other people. So I've only can depend on myself. Right. You know, um, I'll, I'll disregard the steak to have a hot dog later. If I can go get the hot dog on my own, right. right. Just to, just to kind of prove to myself, I am going to be okay because that, that, that inherent need to feel secure, to be secure is so ingrained within us that survival is what it feels like they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So mm-hmm. even though it doesn't make sense, look, the steak is going to fill you and you're going to feel better longer. It's, it's to make sure that I can survive because when you, the, the, the thought process lots of times is not logical, but t- what tends to be is that, you know, like you're saying with your kiddo, when you fail me, I'm going to need to take care of myself. Right. And I'm going to do my best to put you in a place where you're going to fail me because I'm pretty sure it's going to happen and I'd rather have control over when it happens 
So again, sometimes not only does the the explosive nature of what happens with rad kids comes out in um, aggressive ways towards the caregivers, yes, as a perceived threat against my own safety, but then also I know it's coming anyway, so just get it over with mm-hmm. kind of a mentality that tends to come up right there, right? So, so being able to control that environment those two tend to blend together right there around those situations that you're talking about, like with it, food insecurity, you know, I'm going to take care of myself mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to make sure that I know that I can, cause I'm pretty sure you're going to fail me anyway, cause everybody else already has. Right. Right. And I'm not going to put myself in a situation where where it, it, where it can hurt me yes. when, when you yeah. fail me, where it's going to like rock me to my core because I'm just not going to form those attachments in the first place. Right. Um, and so, so, if we're talking about, I mean, obviously there are a lot of smaller, you know, attachment disorder issues on the spectrum, but if we're talking about two main or two big camps, which is ODD and RAD, you know, um, you, you said control and that is often way more associated with RAD because you're enacting your control. So, so their outbursts are much more calculated versus someone with ODD who might be more explosive, right? Typically, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So talk to us about that a little bit. So I know that uh, manipulation is a big issue for rad families or rad parents or rad kids mm-hmm. or however you want to look at it because, um, and it's not just typical like kid lying. It's it's like master con artist level manipulation because sure. it's a survival technique. Like if, if my life depended on me selling a lie, I would probably be a good liar too. Yeah. So what what makes them... What makes them like that? What makes them struggle with that? And how, where, where do parents fall in? Because I know for myself, it makes me go crazy because every little minuscule issue is a, is that true or is it not? Even dumb things. It kind of makes me question simple things around life that I should be able to, you know, do you have your shoes on? Yes. Well, I look because I'm just going to make sure that you've got shoes on your feet, you know, that kind of a thing. Right. Right. And I know that that's a control thing, right? Like if I can if I can sell this lie to you, then that makes me feel a little more in control of my environment. And and so some of the exam some of the examples that I've seen being that um, you know there was a little girl that I had worked with at one point, um, and. You know, she would, to me, she would say, dad's doing this and mom's doing this and almost kind of make them out against one another. And, and the, the lies that they, that this little girl would tell would be so close to like, I could, I could see that Mm -hmm. you're like, that's possible. So I've got to go check it out. And then all of a sudden the parents feel accused or they feel attacked. And it's like it, it ends up <clears> – I think part of the reason why I love doing the marital work too in regards to <clears> – excuse me – in regards to working with, with um, adoptive families and, and trauma is because – and those kinds of things get in between couples so easily. And it's mm-hmm. so frustrating to be able to try to make, to feel like you've got to try to make sense out of everything all the time. 
just drives <laughs> you mad. <laughs> yes. You know, I don't know if you know anything about that. Yeah, that, I'm relating a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit right there, right? You know, and, and so, again, part of that is like, it's like constantly checking the boundary. Are you, are, are you going to put in the work to make sure that I'm telling the truth? Mm-hmm. Are you going to take care of me? The people who, who gave birth to me that they're supposed to take care of me, they failed and they gave birth to me. You did not. Are you going to love me enough to find out the truth? Are you going to love me enough to hold me to this? You know, lots of times kind of ends up being the, I guess, the core question. Now, if you ask them that, are you, you know, if you ask this, you know, let's say a 12-year-old, hey, are you really just trying to figure out if I care about you or not? Like, no, I don't give a, you know, insert whatever your favorite explicit is there. <laughs> you know, what what you think about me, right? That's the answer mm-hmm. you're going to get. But at that core level, again, that attachment being such a core need that almost even like um, unconsciously they're doing this. They're constantly checking the boundaries, yeah. Is is the fence still up? Am I still going to get taken care of? Again, can I push you enough to where you're going to leave me? You know, kind of until some of those core questions get answered and addressed, those those behaviors really don't subside a whole lot until some of those questions get answered on an internal core level. If that makes sense. Right. And, um, this is where you also, you know, you see, you see them, they're, they're acting as though they are right in their belief that you don't care that you're going to fail them, but they're secretly hoping you'll prove them wrong, but they would never admit that. They would never act as though they act, they want that to be true. But this is where you also, you know, I think this is an issue with a lot of adopted kids, not just ones with rad, but they intentionally they'll, they'll sell sabotage or sabotage, you know, holidays, family events or whatever, because it makes them uncomfortable. But rad kids often take it to more extreme measures. So talk to us about that. What's going on in their bodies, in their brains that makes them want to use very extreme measures to make sure that they don't have a positive feeling about this, you know, insert family activity. I would say that a big portion of the explosive or the um, to the max kind of behavior again comes at developmentally for it to be reactive reactive attachment it's got to be at such a young age that Mm. those questions that that baby let's say is is asking itself without asking right without the words but the 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 question according to let's say even erickson is is the world around me safe you know and and because it goes to such a core level, that's, I think, where so often you see such an explosive manner, such the extreme. Mm-hmm. Because I've got to make sure to make sure to make sure, you know, and the and the pain that comes with the grief, you know, one of the things when you're looking at the diagnostic manual about RAD is it's it's talking about, you know, unexplained episodes of sadness and grief and and that kind of thing i think that like you're saying around these events around holidays or birthdays or just going to the lake to enjoy the day 
they'll sabotage because it's like, man, I wish that I could have had this when I needed it the most. Mm-hmm. It's just so stinking sad. And because they feel that it's, you know, the, the level of unfair that parents feel around, dang it, I didn't do this to this kid and I'm paying for something that somebody else did. Yeah, I'm paying for somebody else's mistakes. It's like, I think these kiddos feel that same sense of, you know what, somebody really should have taken care of me because I couldn't take care of myself. And I'm just thinking mad about it. I'm just so, I want to enjoy it and I hate that I'm enjoying it all at the same time. Yeah. And there's that strange mixture of grief and sadness and, 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 and anger Mm-hmm. all mixed together right there. And then, and then you've got like food flying all over the place at the picnic and, you know, chairs thrown across the room just to ruin the day. Cause you know, and, and part of those questions that we ask early on is like, do I matter to the people most to me? And, and when I didn't get that message answered, when I was so little and, and then, you know, here I want to enjoy it, but I'm just kind of mad and I don't even know if I deserve it. Right. And they don't know how. I, I want it. Right. I don't know how to take that. And I can't, I can't even take in a hug. How in the world am I supposed to take in the overwhelming input of such just fun joy that comes with hanging out at the beach on vacation? Mm-hmm. Like how exciting that is and such overwhelming input. And I, go, I don't know what the heck to do with this. Yeah. And it stirs up such emotion, and then all of a sudden I'm exploding and throwing stuff all over the place, and and everything goes haywire. All right, guys, I hope you're really enjoying my interview with Vance Crow. Like I said, it's super hard, but super good and informative, and I really hope you guys are enjoying it. I wanted to cut in here for a quick second to remind you guys that I did a giveaway last week with Restoration Threads. So if you haven't heard of this company, they are really cool. So they sell clothing that promotes foster care and adoption, just like with what's written on the clothes. But then on the back end, they donate a portion of the proceeds to a different foster care and adoption organization every month. So they go through and they choose, you know, someone who deserves, uh, deserves some extra love and, um, social media promotion and then actual money. And they work with that, that organization for a whole month. And they decided to team up with the podcast to just do a fun giveaway with, for one of their t-shirts. Um, congratulations to the winner. It's over now, But I have another little surprise for you guys. For the whole rest of this month, as of this recording, it's April 2019. For the whole rest of the month, you can use the code ADOPTIVEMOM20. All one word, and it's numbers, two zero, not spelled out 20. ADOPTIVEMOM20 for 20% off your entire order at the adoptivemompodcast.com slash restoration threads. It'll send you directly to their website, which is a little difficult to say like verbally. So you can just go there, click on the link, use the code adoptivemom20 for 20% off your entire order. You guys, let's support this company. They are awesome. Thank you guys for participating in the giveaway and let's get back to Vance. Sorry, this is like, this all hitting very home for me. Um, but, and, and I want to move on to like the parents side of things. But before we do, I'm going to ask you another question you don't like, which is what are, um, what are some of the worst case scenarios you see? And I see, and I want to ask this before we talk about intervention, because I want to encourage myself, but other parents too, that what we're doing matters, even when it doesn't 
feel like it matters. Um, so what are, what are some of the things that you see rad heading towards? Um, you're right. Those are the, those are the stories that I don't like to think about Alex. Um, you know, those are the ones you were talking about that, that feel heavy and that hurt on the way home. Like those are the stories, right. You know, so those are the stories that, and again, part of this is, um, my, the field that I do tend to work in the attachment struggles and then they end up leading into lots of times like sexual addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so you end up finding, um, there's sexual abuse as well as the neglect and then unanswered questions around that. And then we're not able to deal with this. The kid's not able to get somebody that does care enough to do the hard work of, of, of sitting with these kids in this place. Um, let's say they start turning to sex or to pornography or to, um, masturbation and, and, uh, voyeurism, let's say, you know, see it watching someone else, you know, well, and then when, well, you're, you're looking at jail time and you're looking at not being able to hold down a job and you're looking at, uh, you know, spending your days and nights in strip clubs and prostitutes and, you know, like mm-hmm. the worst case scenario, there's kind of where you head, you learn to medicate, so to speak that pain of all these questions that we've been talking about. Do I matter to people? Am I worth mattering? Am I going to be able to get my needs met? Why find something that temporarily meets my needs? And it feels really good for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then it bites me again. And so I deal with pain again because of the shame of what I've done. And that cycle continues and continues and continues. You know, you can insert drugs or you can insert, um, you know, fighting aggression you know then you're you're sure not going to be able to interact and connect with your boss whenever i don't even know what it's like to have a normal conversation with somebody without making it to be about me mm-hmm. how am i supposed to hold down a job so so those are kind of the worst case scenarios i suppose yeah and and obviously that's without i mean that's without intervention or that's, that's without, without intervention right, right and that's without successful intervention so where you know who comes in there it's us it's the adoptive parents But what stands in the way is this giant mountain of of manipulation and frustration. And and are we seen here as the adoptive parents? Um, Because with Rad specifically, and again, since I haven't dealt with ODD personally, it's hard for me to speak to that. But I can speak to Rad and I know that I feel like a crazy person most of the time. Because literally, you know, I thought about this the other day, Brian, I and like, one other person are the only ones who have actually seen, not just heard about or had a conversation about, who have actually seen the effects, who have actually seen the offers. And that is very isolating. And I just, throughout through this podcast and through the community that we've built through it, I've talked to so many other parents who feel that way, who feel so isolated and alone because they have people at church or school or whatever saying how great of a kid they have. or I just take him home with me. Yeah, And so- what what on earth is up with that, first of all? And how well, do we overcome it? Because we have to in order to prevent what we just talked about. Right. And and I think that that's part of that's part of even the definition of reactive attachment is they're able to that's the way that they've learned to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, is is they can be sweet and caring and people see me this way and it and it's so great to be able to get that feedback, right? Um, and so as, as for you guys, as parents being able to kind of hold both say, you know what? Yeah, I I know that he is a really sweet and a really good kid. I do see those things about him, 
you know, and then two, you got to have some community of people that you can be able to talk with and go, this is freaking hard. Like mm-hmm. he, he's able to, you know, or she's able to do these things with at, at church, let's say, and such a sweet kid and pay attention and sit still. And when we get home, it's like, who is this kid that came home? Yeah. I don't know what, you know, so to having people that, that you can go and talk to and, and, um, share that struggle with is really, really, really key. Yeah. Like something that you mentioned early on, I think in the podcast here was, you know, finding someone who's trauma informed or like that they see the world through that lens. Mm -hmm. They see the world through that attachment wound. Um, is really key. I mean, not all clinicians are the same, you know, and, and, you know, there's some therapists that are, really, really, really good at, at career, uh, counseling. You know, I'm just really not one of them. Like, that's not what I live and breathe. That's not what I do every day, mm-hmm. but I am really, really good at, at, at walking with people through attachment wounds. That's mm-hmm. what I do every day. So finding someone who gets the struggle that you're, you're walking through is really important because you know what, you're right. Like, man, if I'm, if I'm left reeling, and going, what the heck is going on here? And they tell this, they tell these people out here that I'm the crazy one. And I start to kind of believe that I'm the crazy one. Maybe or mean or overreacting. Just me. Or like, right. Or overreacting. Like, no, but everybody else doesn't get what happens. So finding people that are safe for you to include into your community, into your home. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you know, you mentioned church. I think that's really what, what, we really look at uh, let's say the book of acts and and see how the church responded to one another like that's really what we're that's really what we're looking at you know is finding that those people that we can share and do life with and they are around us enough to be able to see you know um when our kiddos throw the chairs across the room at the lake because we're spending time together at the lake together right mm. you know, so then you've got those people around you to be able to know and experience that with you and come alongside you and love that kid at the same time, yeah. even if they are. Well, and to be able to safely let them know that they're not buying it. And I think that, again, that feels really mean to some people, but having people for me, and this is maybe, maybe I'm not explaining it well, but you know, I did an interview with, um, with four women who had collectively adopted a sibling group, like among their four families. And they were talking about how they're kind of ants to each other's kids, but they're like the rad trauma informed ants where they don't let each other's kids get away with lies. Um, and I think that's really right. cool because, you know, personally, like I, I know it's kind of like when you go to a party that you don't really want to go to and you have to like, you know, be this, like, I'm so happy I'm here kind of person. And then you get home and you're just wiped from keeping up that facade the whole time. That's how these kids are on a daily basis. You know, they, they're selling this lie all day, every day. And we've had to tell people, please don't let him do that because we pay the price for it. Like if he feels like he's lied to you for to perform, right. Right. And so so we, it's going to be painful. Exactly. So we just really appreciate people that will, not in a mean way, but that will call them out and be like, well, we, I know that's not true. Or, you know, just like, or change the subject or not let it keep going. Um, because then I'm like, yes, thank you. Like now we don't have to deal with the fallout from right. from this manipulation. And so how would, you know, not everyone's going to be trauma informed. So how would you suggest that parents have these conversations with their friends um, 
to say like, Hey, I know it's going to be hard and it's going to feel counterintuitive, but just don't let it go there. I, I think that, you know, I think so much of life is being able to hold two things at the same time, you know, seemingly opposite things, Mm. you know, I love this kid so much and I'm not going to allow him to do these things, (laughs) you know, and, and then one is because I, I love him or her. I'm not going to allow that to happen because I know how bad it hurts them. So kind of helping them to see, look, it's not just because I don't want to deal with the fallout. It's because I know that it hurts them too. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it hurts us. It hurts us as a family. It, hurt, it makes things, it makes the progress slower. Like I think every adoptive family that I have ever talked to feels the pressure of, oh my gosh, I, I'm running out of time. They're going to be 18 mm-hmm. so soon. Like, <laughs> Whether the kid's five or the the kid's 15, I think every adoptive family feels that same sense of pressure. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, it's it's not only that you're that we're dealing with the fallout, but it's like it slows us down. Like so being able to help us help this kiddo in the way that, that, that he or she needs is actually beneficial for you to to go. Are you sure your mom and dad said that? Let me call them real quick and just make sure, you know. Maybe you don't do that with every kid, but but if you're if you're walking through life with um, with families that are that are that are helping kids heal that hurt in this way, that's really important. Being able to make sure that we've got one family. I I feel that even with my own kiddos, like I don't I don't necessarily. Some of this is like, and I feel that stuff with my kids, and they don't have reactive attachment stuff. I really appreciate it. When I can let my kids go over to, I've got, there's two or three friends of ours that I know that they are not going to let them get away with the BS, that, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, no, you can't eat Cheetos and play video games all day. Sorry. Get your butt outside and go play. <laughs> I love that I can send them to their house and I know that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, so, so when my, my, not that he would ever do this, but my eight-year-old, when he tries to say, yeah, it's okay if I play video games all day long, you know, that that, that mom or that dad goes, well, I'm just going to make sure. And I get a text message, did you say Caleb could play games all afternoon? No, I did not. I really want him and your boy to go play outside out back in the fort that they built last time. Let's push him to go do that. Yeah. You know, to not allow them to like put up that that facade or that, to lie, to manipulate, to get what they want. They think that they want, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's the key. That's the key. They think that they want it, but it really is not as effective and not as comforting to them as they hoped. Yeah, never ever. So being able to hold them to what is, again, kind of back to this dumb metaphor, but like, no, we're going to eat steak, not hot dogs, because you you eat too many hot dogs, you're going to feel sick, and it's going to actually make you feel worse. But let's stick with some meat that's actually worth eating and give some sustenance and and let's get some veggies in it. Like, you know, not every like everybody likes to eat broccoli, but you know, it's really kind of good for you. We got to eat it anyway. Sorry, tough luck. Yeah, you know, you're not getting any snacks until it's gone. Sorry, you know, somebody <laughs> that'll hold 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 your kiddo to those kinds of things that you, that they know from you because you've had those conversations and those are hard conversations to have. I mean, it's complicated trying to explain this. Like we've spent the yeah. last you know, like 40 minutes trying to get around this thing. And it's you know, incredibly complex and it's conversations over and over mm-hmm. and over again. It's repetition. I think that's so much 
like you, we're we're kind of alluding to like um, um, kind of interventions for. Mm-hmm. I think that's so key is is the repetition, repetition, repetition. You know, as 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 babies and infants, when this pain started for them, they just soak everything up. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to teach uh, a one year old to start talking. They just listen to you and they figure it out and blah blah blah. And before you know it, they're talking. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's the level of where this pain happened. So for me today, if I want to learn French, I'm going to have to repeat it yeah. so much. I have to go over so many lessons. I'm going to spend so many hours intentionally going over it and over it and over it. And I think about these kids and how we're trying to help them to rewire those parts of their brain Mm-hmm. is the repetition, repetition, repetition. And so it is, that's where talking to those friends, you know, when they're at school, when they're at, uh, you know, their buddy's house or when their buddies are over and like, you know, having those conversations that come up repeatedly to where we can say, you are loved, you are worth it. To be able to send that message as many different ways and with, man, implication is so huge. You know, so what you, you do and, and, and can I even be in, like, I like to, I like to tell parents sometimes it's kind of like you, when you have some of these conversations, it's like you're fishing on the, on the Creek bank. It's like, you're not even looking at them. <laughs> you like, just pretend like you don't care and just kind of say these things kind of imply that you kind of like them or, yeah, you know, I kind of like it sometimes, you know, and kind of forget about it and implication gets past some of those barriers, some of those protective barriers so much faster and so much sometimes more effective than if you're trying to look them in the eye and going, I love you so much. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't handle this. This is too overwhelming for me. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. But if I can put a note in your lunch bag for the next five years, <laughs> or if I can, you know, um, hey, I love you, buddy, as you, as you head out the door, for the next three years, you know, boy, you really matter to me. And I sure like you, you know, implications, not even outright, like, look at me, get this through your head. <laughs> kind of, kind of actions tend to be more effective in getting past those like protective barriers, it seems. Mm-hmm. And I, you read my mind. I was going to talk to you about this whole repetition thing next time because, you know, I, I don't, how many hundreds of times do they say that you have to just to learn a new behavior um, with a with or to rewire your brains? Sorry, not relearn a behavior, um, but to rewire your brain. I don't even remember the exact count, but they estimate hundreds of, of repetitions. Um, and that feels daunting and exhausting, but that's what we've signed up for. That's what we've that's what we were called to do is to make a difference. And, um, again, I mean, that, that feels like a mountain in front of us, but, you know, you've mentioned a few things that we can do to intervene, you know, putting a a note in their lunchbox or, or, um, implication or something like that. And part of that, some of that feels like playing their game, but I think that we have to meet them where they're at to some degree. Right. Sure. And, and I don't think that there's, there, there, I don't know. So much of this, it, it feels like when you're dealing with a kid that's that's dealing with reactive attachment disorder, it's like everything is amplified. So every child 
every human being asks the same questions that these reactive attachment kids are asking. Do I matter? Uh, am I worth loving? It's just a lot louder with them. <laughs> so it's like the same kinds of things that, that I'm, I want to communicate to my kid who doesn't struggle with a reactive attachment. I'm just, my, my strategy and how I get that message across is a little different. You know, um, I guess other interventions that I would say too is, is even, um, especially with neglect, um, when, when a baby is, is little, like what is like, I'm forever ruined. Like my sister has puppies and I'm holding these puppies and I'm like bouncing up and down. Like, and I catch myself doing it. I'm like, we just had four babies. And that's what my body <laughs> does when I'm holding something like, I'm like, geez, I usually we call it the that. mom bounce, bounce, but I guess you're right. the dad bounce, right? Right, so I got the dad bounce. I don't know. I'm stuck <laughs> with it. it. Four times in a row in five years and you're stuck, you know. <laughs> How many 10,000 repetitions or whatever? I'm a pro. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but there was um, a, a friend of mine that uh, had suggested, like, so, so lots of times those kiddos didn't get that kind of care they didn't get that bounce there's actually some neurological benefit to that as a kiddo there is yeah it is um very interesting but but even being able to um and get them a trampoline (laughs) let them let them bounce it's a good excuse go jump on the trampoline with them and see if you can make some eye contact with them while you're bouncing on the trampoline eye contact is really hard for these kids they don't want to look you in the eye you know um or Something that I used to do, uh, a simple kind of game, like, you know, I would say, look, hey, let's play a game. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to pass this balloon back and forth, but we've got to keep eye contact. And if you look away, I get a point. So it's like you're, you're practicing that eye contact, which is so hard. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds real awkward. It's, but it's a game. I know, I know. It's so fun. You know, you make it silly, you make it funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's like, then you do like really awkward, weird things with your hands and you're like, you know, oh my gosh, like I can't find it, but I can't look away because I'm, I want to keep the point. So you can kind of play to those survival strategies a little bit. Not necessarily like play in the manipulative game, but you're playing to the strategies that they're already employing. They don't want to lose. They want to be able to control the environment. Right. Like, okay, well, fine. Your body has a really hard time looking at me and making sure that I'm not going anywhere. So let's play this game. And play mm-hmm. to your competitive advantage, right? You know that okay, don't you don't want to lose? Like if you know, I don't know, had some dumb little prize or whatever. I don't know. Lots of different things, but you can do those kinds of things that are not explicitly. Oh, let's talk, honey. Let's just spend the next five hours talking. You know, yeah. they don't want to do that. They want to like go play, or they want to get away from you. Like okay, well, let's. You know, let's go jump on the trampoline or let's go, let's play this dumb game where we pass there, throw the ball back and forth or, you know, get your other kids or your spouse or whoever involved too. Like, you know, have a tournament or, you know, you, you can kind of just make those things a little more um, explicit where you are getting some of that. Again, if we think back to the time, the intervention or the time of the injury was when these kiddos needed eye contact mm-hmm. you know when you're holding a baby you're looking at them and you're making faces at them and you're cooing at them and you're talking to them and what's teenagers really 
suck at doing that anyway. <laughs> you know, they don't want to at them and make eye contact and sit and have, some, you know, coffee together. But like, you know, they'll sit there next to me and, you know, play video games for hours, you know, or yeah. they'll, you know, they'll like, kind of like what you were saying. How do we meet them where they are mm-hmm. with that kind of intervention that you would be doing with, you know, a one to three year old, <laughs> but how do we make it to where we can come up with some excuse to be able to make eye contact with a 15 year old? How do we make some excuse to, um, be close to physically, you know, holding or, um, even if you think about it, kind of going back to like, Hey, let's read a book together. And as mm-hmm. simple as that sounds, you know, there's a lot of really, and I really just honestly, I really love the Chronicles of Narnia books too. Like even now, like, I mean, I could reread those things a hundred times, you know, they're so interesting and I just love those. Yeah. You know, you can, Reading it aloud is such a, a good connecting kind of thing that, that you do with kiddos when they're little that they missed out on as little kids. How in the world do we get that kind of mm, intervention to, to them today at 15? Yeah. And getting creative in that sense. Yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm like I'm soaking it all in because it's really good stuff and it does hit home for me. Um and I love that you know, in addition to working with these kids, you said earlier that you really like working with the parents too, and that's really unique because your eyes are on both hearts and and we know that or something I had to learn was that I mattered in this too. And that as a well, part absolutely. of the Well, and I I think that, you know, when we go into this, we're on mission, you know, we're like, we're going to save these kids or we're going to help or whatever. And you don't realize that your, your heart's going to be destroyed and torn apart and, um, susceptible to brokenness too, and secondary trauma and just all of the things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's, that, that's the whole purpose of the podcast is that we're often as parents, we're often not seen in these places, um, and with rad parents, especially because you have this seemingly adorable kid and then you have parents who seemingly hate the adorable kid. So it's easy to be mad at the parents. Um, and so if you are, you know, if we're going to sum it all up here and close this out, if your eyes are on the parents and their hearts, what do you, what, what do you wish that they knew? What do you want to say to them um, as they walk through this with these kids? Kind of like you were alluding to, Alex. Man, this is this is like a battlefield rather than walking through a field of daisies. We have this idea yeah. that walking through adoption is going to be this beautiful thing, and it is beautiful. But it's beautiful in the sense of like, man, we conquered the hill, and there's triage everywhere by the time we get to the top. And so, surrounding yourself with people who are going to fight that battle with you. Mm-hmm. it's probably number one on my list like finding people like i got a uh a friend of mine um she fallen told me to be on this podcast uh <laughs> amy she 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 sometimes it's just she just holds me where i need to be long enough mm-hmm. like man i just don't like this i squirm around those places that feel like oh uh, you know like you're talking about how do we talk to the people around us and about this one, like it feels really uncomfortable to talk about them because then I have to talk about how I 
hurt in all this too. Mm -hmm. So finding people that are going to be willing to sit with you where you are as well and love your kids in the midst of it that can hold both. So ticked off. I'm so hurt by this kid. They're going to hear you and still love that kid at the same time that aren't just going to go, you're right. Why in the world did you ever adopt this kid? That was a mistake. Right. No. I'm not saying I don't love this kid. I'm saying I'm hurt. <laughs> Finding people that can sit with you in that hurt and will hold you in it even when you don't want to, mm-hmm. pretty key. I think that would be one of the biggest things that I would say. And that's encouraging because, I mean, when we when we look at those that those worst-case scenario things that you said earlier, it doesn't always feel like what we're doing matters because we, we're in the thick of it and we often don't see these little baby steps. We don't see those pathways starting Changing, to form. Right. And and it's it's hard to grace ourselves there. It's hard to feel like we matter, especially when we see regressive behavior or lack of progress even. Um, so that means a lot for for yeah. you to say that as an outsider. Um, I mean, not a, not that you're an outsider, but you know what I mean. I know um, yeah, so... I am a little bit, and that's okay. <laughs> you and your neurotypical kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> Cheater. Just <laughs> taking the slacker route. <laughs> Um, okay. So if you were to flip that and look at the people on the outside, what do you wish that they knew about rad? Well, really, I just wish that they could see what we see. Mm. You know, I wish that they could see, um, the, the survival aspect that these kiddos have and how hard they're fighting on a daily basis. Man, I really do. I like that battlefield metaphor. Like, man, they're fighting a hard fight every day. Mm-hmm. You know that, that people don't even see. You know, so the so the teachers that are um, dealing with these kids and they go, "Geez, man, he's just like he's the worst guy. Just don't look for it." You know, and I just wish they saw how hard he's fighting, you know, or how hard she's fighting mm-hmm. on a day to day basis. I think that's what I would say. I just wish they saw how hard that they're fighting. Them and the parents, right? That what you meant? Both of them, yeah, yeah, absolutely. For the kids as well as the parents, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Good stuff, Mr. Vance. Um, I am so excited that you were able to sit down and chat with us about a really hard topic. I know that it's not necessarily fun to chat about this stuff, but again, it means so much to parents like me who feel often so unseen. Um, So thank you for making this your specialty and thank you for sitting down and chatting. Absolutely. Um, And where can we find you on social media and whatnot? Um. You probably won't find me on social media. Um, <laughs> I don't really care for it, to be honest. Um, I think I've got a LinkedIn profile somewhere. If you can find it, um, just through my name. Um, wow! I know I'm. I'm uh, an old soul. I was going to say uh, you're so old-fashioned. I know, huh? Um, no, but um, so probably the easiest if you wanted to get any contact with me would probably be um, through Waterstone. Is the easiest way. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell people all the time, man, don't text me because I'm kind of forgetful. But, you know, <laughs> it's great because I can come back to it. So my email is just vance at waterstonecounseling.com. Cool. And you can kind of read a little bit about me on Waterstone, uh, the Waterstone website as well. Yeah, and we'll put that in the show notes. So if you, as a listener, have any follow-up questions about RAD or um, any of the things we've talked about today, you can reach out to Vance or uh, me and I'll, you know, I don't care to exploit them. I'll send you his phone number. That's fine. (laughs) I'm kidding. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. 
Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.